we completely realize the Tata Gata's true meaning. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for showing up for Sunday program. Uh, many of us, even most of us, have just completed um, retreat on just uh, yesterday. And um, even those who haven't have you know, done retreat in the past or <laughs> maybe not, um, some other kind of sustained practice. Um, during retreat often, and certainly with my talk yesterday, um, I feel there was an emphasis on wholehearted practice and really pushing in and look, 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 look. Um, and so I want to also kind of highlight another side of things, a different kind of state of mind. Um, and shine some light on that part of practice as well. So sometimes we really have to effort in order to keep ourselves present and keep ourselves engaged. And other times, um, I find often after doing some sustained practice, but uh, not always, you know, sometimes it just happens. Um, other times we look to check to see if we're present and we're present. You know, we're just, we're simply present, and it really doesn't take any effort at all. Hmm. And so, I think it's important that there's um, times where we are practicing this very, very, very simple, basic presence and not making any problems. I find that um, uh, I <laughs> can develop a kind of uh, practice anxiety where um, you know, I have to let go. I have to let go of some extra anxiety in, in these spaces and just um, remind myself that there's uh, nothing to get and to really um, abide in that, in that space of simple presence. It's its own kind of practice. You can really feel the um, no handrails of it, the nothing to grab onto. But if we're there, we're there. And for me, at least, um, sometimes it's often it's quite enjoyable, and sometimes. Um, the anxiety I spoke of or some version of it can come up some kind of discomfort, some kind of um, karma to work through. Uh, either way, whatever's present, then we just um, abide.
Tibetan Buddhist practice or one or more schools of Tibetan Buddhist practice has uh, the Lojon sayings, which are um, slogans or aphorisms, uh, pithy pointers, Dharma pointers. And one of them, um, so there's 59 of them, and they're each all uh, talks, like complete Dharma talks in and of themselves, like to unpack what the pithy words even mean, some more so than others. Um, One of the slogans, the second slogan is, regard all dharmas as dreams. So I'm transitioning a little here. Regard all dharmas as dreams. So look around and see the um, non-solidity of things. And another slogan, the number six, says, uh, post-meditation, in post-meditation, so after you've done all this efforting on the cushion and looking, 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 and you're walking off the cushion, be a child of illusion. Be a child of illusion. So this is um, Sekito Kisen's open your hands and walk innocent. Child of illusion. I find this pointer uh, to me seems to point to a, a childlike a state of wonder. So this is all to just do some pointing to these um, states of mind or ways of practice that are um, less tense. Um, And to be clear, this isn't a right or wrong. It's a different gear that we're in sometimes. Different gear that we're in sometimes. And especially for those of us who um, can get caught on the um, efforting side of things to take some time to deliberately practice in this other uh, gear. Mm. I mean, when we're when we're brushing our teeth, just brushing our teeth, or when we're eating, just eat. Like sometimes it really is simply that. Simply that. Um, I'm going to do some more reading today from Thich Nhat Hanh's book, No Death, No Fear. Uh, Generally, we define Dharma as the teachings that point to the truth. So the truth is always there. The truth is just the way things are. Things as they are. Right? One of the things Thich Nhat Hanh pointed out in our reading last week was that um, our idea that there is um, this binary being or not being, or even birth and death, or alive and dead, 
how about that binary, doesn't um, accurately map onto reality. It might be the way we usually think of things, but when we look, it doesn't accurately map on real onto reality. And if you missed that talk, it's um, posted um, online. You can catch up if you want. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh has a nice way of just pull, pulling us along. Mm-hmm. He made it very clear. Um, So sometimes when we can be pulled along by a Dharma teaching and come to an agreement, oh yes, this way of seeing, my usual way of seeing, doesn't really match up with the way things are. Um, Then I have to remember to um, train myself in a different way of seeing or adjust my lens. So this is a right view. This is right view, the the correct lens, which is multifaceted, right? It's not just one uh, facet of truth. Um, So in reading uh, bits of this book, uh, No Death, No Fear, um, I came upon another uh, lens adjustment for me. So I'm going to share that with you. Mm. We'll do a bit of reading to get there. So, here we go. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, Where does the flame come from? Hmm? He's looking deeply. He's pointing us to look deeply. Where does the flame come from? What is its origin? We should look deeply into this question. Do you need to sit in the lotus position to find the answer? I am sure that the answer is already in you. It is just waiting for one more condition to manifest itself. Isn't that beautiful? It really points right at the truth. Points right at the truth. Let's look again. Where does the flame come from? What is its origin? We should look deeply into this question. He says, please look deeply in this way. Then he says, I'm sure that the answer is already in you. I'm sure that somewhere you already know. It's just waiting for one more condition to manifest itself, to show itself. What's that condition? Hmm? It's that very looking deeply. It's that very looking deeply. Hmm. When we look deeply, we see that when all conditions are sufficient, something will manifest, including an answer. We see that when all conditions are sufficient, something will manifest. What manifests does not come from anywhere, 
And when a manifestation ceases, it does not go anywhere. So remember last week we talked about um, the water vapor maybe from a river becoming a cloud and then becoming rain. <laughs> so that the cloud um, is no more because it's transformed. Rather than um, just appearing out of nowhere. Though we did just kind of say that in a different way, but <laughs> you know, there's um, the cloud is a continuation of what came before it, and then the rain is the continuation of the cloud. Okay. So continuing here, he says to create seems to mean that from nothing you suddenly have something. I prefer to use the expression manifestation. Look deeply and you can understand creation in terms of manifestation. Just as we can understand a cloud as a manifestation of something that's, that has always been there, and rain as the end of the cloud manifestation. We can understand human beings and even everything around us as a manifestation that has come from somewhere and will go to nowhere. Manifestation is not the opposite of destruction. It simply changes form. It simply changes form. Understanding our lives and the cosmos as a manifestation can bring us tremendous peace. If you are grieving over the loss of a loved one, this is an invitation to look deeply and to heal your pain. So again, just reminding of last week when he... Um, pointed us to see, um, well, I think I'll read more parts about this, um, but to see um, non-self elements inside what we call the self. Mm -hmm. Like in me, there's water and sunshine. And non- what were we just talking about the cloud and rain? So there's there's non-cloud elements in the cloud. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. When we look at things like a flower, a table, or a house, we think that a house has to be made by someone and a table has to be made by someone in order to be there. Our tendency is to look for a cause that has given birth to the house, a cause that has given birth to the table. 
we come to the conclusion that the cause of the house must be the house builder, the mason or the carpenter. What is the cause of the table? Who created the table? A carpenter. Who is the creator of the flower? It is the earth or the farmer or the gardener. Okay, he lays this out and then he's going to kind of um, debunk it. It's kind of myth of a single cause. So in our minds, we think very simply in terms of cause. We think that one cause is enough to bring about what is there. With the practice of looking deeply, we find out that one cause can never be enough in order to bring about an effect. The carpenter is not the only cause of the table. If the carpenter does not have things like nails, saw, wood, time and space, food to eat, a father and mother who brought them to life, and a multitude of conditions, they would not be able to bring the table into being. So we're back to when conditions are sufficient, something manifests. So the carpenter has a key role here, right? But not a single cause. Not a single cause. Uh, the causes are actually infinite, says Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm -hmm. right, to see that, especially if you're, you start including the person's father and mother, well, <laughs> pretty soon you get to all beings, right? Pretty soon. Pretty quick. When we look at the flower, we see the same thing. The gardener is only one of the causes. There must be the soil, the sunshine, the cloud, the compost, the seed, and many, many other things. If you look deeply, you will see that the whole cosmos has come together in order to help the flower to manifest. Again, you keep looking what exactly can we leave out? If you look deeply into a piece of carrot that you eat at lunch, you will see that the whole cosmos has come together in order to help manifest that piece of carrot. Now Thich Nhat Hanh says this. Well, but he's also saying, look deeply. Because no? if it's, if it's um, true, then... Uh, you know, it's there and we can see it. So we can practice this by picking you know, whatever thing and looking. There's some cushions in my visual field. You know what? <laughs> Got lots of elements here, lots of causes and conditions, right? No single cause. If we continue to look deeply, we see that a cause is at the same time an effect. The gardener is one of the causes that has helped to manifest the flower. But the gardener is also an effect. The gardener has manifested because of other causes, ancestors, father, mother, teacher, job, society, food, medicine, and shelter. 
right? So much coming together to even make an individual who 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 they are. Like the carpenter, uh, they are not only a cause, they are also an effect. Mm -hmm. The gardener like the carpenter. Okay. Looking deeply, we find that every cause is at the same time an effect. There cannot be something that we can call pure cause. There are many things we can discover with the practice of looking deeply. And if we are not bound to any dogma or concept, we will be free to make our discoveries. So he's saying, this is what I've discovered. Hmm? It's a way into this... Um, yeah, it's a way into this truth, this practice of looking deeply. When the Buddha was asked, what is the cause of everything? He said, he answered with very simple words. He said, this is because that is. It means that everything relies on everything else in order to manifest. A flower has to rely on non-flower elements in order to manifest. If you look deeply into the flower, you can recognize the non-flower elements. Looking into the flower, you recognize the element sunshine. That is a non-flower element. Without sunshine, a flower cannot manifest. Looking at the flower, you recognize the element cloud. That is a non-flower element. Without clouds, the flower cannot manifest. Other elements are essential, such as minerals, soil, the farmer, and so on. A multitude of non-flower elements have come together in order to help the flower manifest. Then he says, and here is the um, adjustment or for me, the nub of a, an adjustment in my view recently. This is why I prefer the expression manifestation to the word creation. He said earlier, this word creation seems to imply that there's a single cause, like there's a creator. I was doing some art, some weaving earlier this week. You know, and I've really been um, thinking of myself as know, making these lovely, I must say, um, pieces of weaving on a loom that I get to rent. Um, but, and I think artists um, know this really well, know this truth really well. I'm kind of, a, um, uh, I don't do art a lot yet. <laughs> I hope that's changing. But I think people that do art a lot, like, know this well. Like, this um, sense that, you know, whatever their medium might be, that things arise from somewhere, like, not generated solely by them. And yes, the artist is in the art. And yes, the weavings that I've created recently... Um, you know, if I die tonight, the weaving I was going to create tomorrow, it probably won't be brought into being by someone else. And yet, 
It's there already. It really just needs another few conditions to bring it into being. And so Thich Nhat Hanh, um, just a little later in the same paragraph, says, um, I very much like the term wonderful becoming. So manifestation or wonderful becoming has maybe, um, you know, he also says you don't have to stop using the term creation. Um, <laughs> but maybe we have associated with that, this idea of a single cause. You know, he says you don't have to stop using that term. Just, just please understand or look deeply and see if you can um, see things in this way. It's liberating to see things as they really are or more in harmony with how they really are. The the extra, the wrong view ends up causing suffering. So this is um this is part of practice, this adjustment of views and this looking deeply um yeah, sometimes uh the journey to view adjustment is uh as simple as really resonating with what Thich Nhat Hanh or whoever is saying and realizing, oh, it's true. Um, And sometimes there's more looking to do just to see. Does this follow? Does this check out? Hmm. Yeah, what's true is true. And this pointing can come from from anywhere. Um, So I said I rented this loom and today I had to return it. Mm -hmm. And here in Anchorage, Alaska, um, there's finally uh, bright sunlight and uh, birds chirping even, just as of recently. And oh wow, it feels nice. Wow, that sun is nourishing. Um, So I was returning this loom, and um, there was a volunteer there to receive the loom. So it was me and this uh, other woman. And we were talking about this phenomenon of spring. And she says, well, uh, we call this spring, and nowhere else would people call this spring, because it's still so very cold, and there's snow all over the place, and I was like, yeah, it's wonderful. And then I started to say something, in retrospect, kind of confusing. I said, you know, when it's winter and it's dark, I'm not one of those people that um, just can't stand the dark and just can't stand the cold and just can't wait for it to be over. Like, I really think of myself as somebody who's who's okay with that, you know? 
I didn't say like not suffering too much in winter, but you know, essentially I meant that. Um, but yet, now that it's sunny outside, like I, I feel it too. I'm just so happy. And she said, well, you know, she said, you know, it's because we go through this such so dark and so cold that we get to enjoy this spring like this. <laughs> Which, uh, kind of a quintessential, you know, Zen saying or aphorism of its own. Huh? I said, uh, good point. <laughs> good point. You know, so she cut through my confusion. Hmm? I'm like, oh, there's this and there's that, but they're both true. And she's like, oh, yes, it's like that. <laughs> mm. So what's true is always true and also uh, liberating hmm. in that exact way. Mm. Uh, that's my talk for tonight. Thank you very much. We'll close um, the Dharma talk por portion by chanting the Four Principles of Practice.